Welcome to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors and collectors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our live interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, what they have in their personal collections, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their life and writing in revealing conversations with our book specialist, Roger Nichols. And find us at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com. Now sit back and enjoy a few minutes with Modern Sign Books. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. It's safe to say that Kevin J. Anderson gets around some, whether improving other people's universes, no Star Wars, X-Files, Dune, Batman and Superman, Predator to drop a few names, or inventing his own. He does so with style and gusto and on a schedule that would drop most writers in its tracks. And when he's not writing for himself, he's teaching workshops, uh, he's publishing other authors and rescuing out-of-print classics with Wordfire Press. Now, his latest, however, uh, out due next uh, September 13th, I believe, is Eternity's Mind. That is the conclusion to the Saga of Shadows trilogy. We're very pleased to have him with us today. Good morning and welcome. Well, good morning. And, and uh, just, just to harp on my ridiculous schedule, it's not, not just Eternity's Mind that comes out the 13th, which is next Tuesday as we're talking, mm-hmm. but on the very same day is uh, Navigators of Dune with Brian Herbert, which is the grand finale of our, our Great Schools of Dune trilogy. So I have, I have two massive science fiction epics coming out on the same day that, that wraps up two giant universes I've spent more than 15 years of my life writing in. Um, so I'll probably be like homeless on the unemployment line on Wednesday, so I don't know what to do after that. <laughs> Somehow or I, I'll I make up something else. There you go. There you go. Now, I, so much to talk about in this, because the, the Sago Shadows, and particularly this Eternity's Mind, it's space opera on a absolutely grand scale. The, you have a wildly settled universe, multiple races, vast fleets of combat ships hurtling through space, um, and a real element of mythology in here as well. And for some reason, it, it just got echoes in my head, the scale and scope, it recommends me as some of uh, Doc Smith's Lensman series. Well, I read the Doc Smith Lensman stuff when I was in high school, and they were, you know, at, at, the, at the time when you're sort of a sense of wonder, gosh, wow, everything in the universe remains to be discovered. Um, that's that just inspired me. I mean, I science fiction is a literature of ideas, so of course it, it's great to have an interesting idea that you follow in the story. But but science fiction is also like everything. It, it's space exploration and robots and immortality and faster than light travel and and interesting cultures and alien races and and it's just all kinds of stuff that. And I've been reading this stuff like all my life and my. Uh, the Saga of Shadows trilogy is is like a, a follow-on trilogy to my original Saga of Seven Sons. That was seven books in a giant science fiction epic. And so this whole universe of mine is, it's basically my love letter to science fiction. I, I just, everything in there, and, and I'm sure even some of the starships have a kitchen sink in them, but um, <laughs> I have everything that I love about science fiction, I just brought it all together. And and another way that I might describe this, because it, it sounds huge and sprawling, which which it is. It's got you know, 30 or more point-of-view characters throughout the stories. It's almost like a Game of Thrones with planets. Uh, you know, mm. it's all these different storylines, and, and it's characters from the highest kings and emperors down to the lowliest foot soldiers and, and you know, 
dust-bitten miners on alien planets. And, and it all ties together into this giant, giant tapestry where uh, somebody asks, well, who is the main character? And, and I like to say that the main character is the story itself. It's this, this gigantic epic that sort of rolls along, and each character adds a little piece to it. So instead of watching a solo tennis game, this is like watching um, a, a, all of the Olympics at once, all, all these different <laughs> people, team sports and solos. And, um, and I'm not really a sports fan, but metaphors work every once in a while. Well, interesting, we got a couple of metaphors. As I was reading this, I was thinking of mosaic, where each shard, each piece is its own integral self, and yet when you put it all together, it forms a much bigger picture, and that's kind of the feeling I got with this whole thing. Well, and it's it, it's certainly a whole lot to keep in your head. <laughs> I mean, uh, I have to, it, there's there's always the debate in writers whether they, they should just write by the seat of the pants or whether they should outline and plan it ahead of time, and I think it's pretty obvious when you read this book that I had to do a whole lot of planning ahead of time. It, you can't just build a gigantic, complex skyscraper without doing a, a blueprint first. And I, it's just choreographing. I think I counted the first, the first book of the trilogy is The Dark Between the Stars, and that was a, a nominee for the Hugo Award last year for Best Science Fiction Novel of the Year. I think I counted that there were 34 point of view characters in that one book alone <laughs> and and just you know one character on this planet has to do something that triggers uh, a, a consequence that another character runs into that sets maybe an avalanche in motion in a different place so that character number three can be walking by just at the right moment where the rocks fall and he has to dive out of the way where he discovers the hidden artifact and that artifact sets off something in the alien empire that you know, it, it's of course that makes it sound like a like a fantasy quest video game but yeah, uh, it, that, that everything leads to something else but if you're like i i have various uh, many other books that I've, I've written and there are some of them that really do just have one main character i have a mm -hmm. whole series of uh dan shamble zombie pi books where it's all first person and the guys uh, those are humorous mysteries and it's all from from his point of view and Every chapter is told, like, I did this, and I saw this, and I went this place. So every single thing that happens in the book is, is limited to what this one guy can do. But when in Saga of Shadows, I've got the whole universe to play with, and if I need somebody over here, then we have a character over there. And if we, uh, it, I guess I, I think it lets you see the whole picture of, of how this giant galactic war is affecting everybody, rather than just laser focusing down to uh, to one character. Yeah, It's interesting because in that particular, um, there's at one point that you have uh, one of the characters, uh, uh, Koto Okaya, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, mm -hmm. and you write, ever since his youth, the universe had been one gigantic puzzle box for him, a treasure chest of questions and answers. Now, it's almost always a mistake to assume a fictional character's words represent an author's view, but somehow I have a feeling that's the way you look at the universe. Well, it, it is. My my degree is in physics and astronomy, so that's where I uh, I used to have a big telescope. I would go out at night and stare at the globular clusters and the Milky Way and all that, and and just you know let your your mind and imagination roam. Uh, kind of key to that, I think, is I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, which um, might sound like Norman Rockwell, and there were other times <laughs> it was more like Norman Bates, uh, but I had no 
other like imaginative people around me that that everybody's you know, small town they want to go to the high school football game and they grew up to work at the auto repair shop or something there was just uh, there were no real big dreams among most people and i was the kid that was thinking about mars and about alpha centauri and about um the lord of the rings and and legendary things and and i just i had to take refuge in books and comics and movies and make up my own stories and i sat with my own little typewriter writing stories and sending them out to magazines and getting them rejected and eventually i got when i graduated from college i got a job out in california so moving from very insular small town wisconsin out to um the san francisco bay area with the computer tech industry and um scenery i I had never seen the ocean before and i never seen actual mountains before because you know wisconsin has hills every once in a while but um that just opened my horizons and and uh i started writing furiously all kinds of stories and novels and um I sold my first one in 1988, and and my wife just counted them all because we updated our website, and uh, I'm at like 140 books now. Oh, well, two geez. more as of Tuesday with the uh, Navigators <laughs> of Dune and Eternity's Mind coming out. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna catch Asimov? Uh. Um, I don't know what his total was. Um, he was he was 200 or 300 or something like that. Well, he, um, was, it's he, not it's not really a race, and I'm not really no. trying that. I'm just I'm just uh, I like to write. I mean, there, it's not its not like I'm trying to win a Guinness. Well, I've already won a Guinness World Record, but I, I'm not trying to. Wait um, a minute. Wait, you have to tell us about that. Uh, I, I have a Guinness World Record for the, I, I set it for the largest single author book signing in, I don't remember, the year 2004 or something like that when wow. I had this gigantic signing in Hollywood and California, Los Angeles and <laughs> signed for hours. But anyway, my, I just, it's like I'm I'm got ideas for stories one after another after another and and uh, I just write them as fast as I can because I'm interested in in uh, whatever the next story is and um, I, I guess I've been blessed with a lot of imaginary friends and and so have we thanks to thanks to you um, it, it just occurred to me as you were saying that that the description in Spider Robinson's Stardance in which he talks about the lady who was the lady in the in the book and he says it's not she likes the dance she enjoys dancing she is a dancer you are a writer yeah that's a good way because i've got you know and i'm writing all the time and and everything in my life is some aspect of of writing i mean right now i'm talking to you. i'm not writing but this is an interview i'm talking about my writing so that's part of it and uh yesterday i went on a on a hike and a mountain climb where I live in Colorado and I do my writing with a, a digital recorder. So I'm out hiking and I wrote four chapters yesterday on this one hike, which will turn out to be you know, 25 pages or something like that. And uh, like, like we mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a publisher now, so I'm publishing other people's books and I'm, I'm reading their manuscripts as they come in and I'm interacting with writers and we're setting them up with interviews. And then we go to science fiction conventions all year long. We've got uh, 22 major shows that we're appearing at this year where I can talk about my books and the books we publish and and uh, uh, meet the fans and autograph things. And uh, it's just this nonstop. And I've got, like, my, my wife's family, they'll they'll want us to go over on a Sunday to you know, have lunch, watch football games, and, and play cards because 
I, I work too hard. I shouldn't be writing all the time. I should relax and watch football games. And I'm going, when I'm watching a football game, every second I'm thinking, I could be writing. I should be writing. I want to be writing. I don't want to mm-hmm. watch football. And it, it's, it's maybe a little obsessive, but I really enjoy telling <laughs> stories. And, and I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like I have enough time in this one existence to get mm-hmm. everything done that I want to. And so every hour that's spent you know, playing card games and staring across the table is an hour that I can't create another story that somebody else can read. And, uh, you know, obviously we hope that all the stories are good, but if they're not good, I don't want to spend time writing them, so I write something else. Let me throw a couple of themes out that just kind of resonated with me as I was reading the book. And one of the key elements of the book is how the, the, the black shadows can, in certain cases, take over people's mind and make them do ghastly things. And that, for me, uh, gave me an echo of the theme of the 50s and 60s with like Heinlein's puppet masters and the body snatchers, uh, pod people and the Stepford Wives being a metaphor for the fear of communism in the, in the Cold War. And I'm wondering if there's any echo of any kind of that in, in this particular work. Well, not, not a fear of communism. I think that's a right. little bit dated, but more of a fear of, of losing yourself and losing control of yourself. And what if mm-hmm. You know, to me, one of the fundamental things that we have as as human beings is that uh, we are our own consciousness and we're responsible for our actions. And and what if somebody just sort of puts you in the back seat and takes over the uh, the driving? And and what if what if you you literally can't control what you're doing? And these are um, in the saga of Seven Sons. I came up with uh, some pretty outrageously powerful enemies that were about to tear you know, the entire empire apart. They're destroying planets and, and wiping out colony populations. There's almost nothing you can do to, to stop them. But, of course, over the course of seven books, uh, they do end up getting defeated through lots of, lots of extra efforts. And so in the Saga of Shadows, I had to come up with something even worse. And these things are trying to uh, unravel the entire universe just because the uh, the presence of order is driving them insane. And th- these are uh, the most powerful beings I think I've ever created in any of my fiction, which means, well, how the heck do you defeat something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a it's a high-wire act as a writer because when you start doing this, uh, I, I know most of what's happening in a trilogy when I start writing the first book, but I don't know all the details. And there are some times where, uh, you're performing without a net. You you are, um, you know, making things worse, and the enemy's getting more powerful, and people are getting getting wiped out, and planets being destroyed. And you think, how on earth am I going to stop these people or, or these these enemies? And um, you just hope you'll come up with something. And and I'm very satisfied with the way Eternity's Mind wrapped up. The, this is three books worth, plus more from the original seven book series, of just throwing all kinds of storylines and and you might not understand when you're reading it where where this person fits in or where that person fits in but by the end you'll see that every single person had their part to play and an important part and um, some of them don't survive maybe not as many as as George Martin kills off but the, some of them <laughs> don't survive but a lot of them do and and uh, it it should be an incredible read I, I just had a, a fantastic and satisfying time writing it, although 
I'm, I'm very sad to be wrapped up with a trilogy like that because I've worked, again, 15 years in, in the Seven Sons universe. And, um, well, I mean, that it's a huge universe. I'm, I'm planning on maybe writing some standalone books of like much mm-hmm. smaller stories in it. Uh, but, but for right now, I just sort of need to let my batteries recharge a bit. Well, this is, uh, yeah, from a reader's perspective, this is so absurd. And I will tell you the truth. I was up till 2 a.m. until I finally could not pry my eyes open anymore to find out what the heck happens next. That's how powerful a story it is. So it, it bless you and your cliffhangers at the end of those chapters. Oh, my God, what happened? Oh, we got another Blue Floyd character. No, 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 no. So, yes. Well, I, we, we probably should recommend, even though we're gushing about this book, that it's probably not the place to start. You don't want to start no. with Eternity's Mind. I mean, it's, it's a lots of groundwork that have been laid out oh, nice. uh, in, other, in other stories, in other novels. And one of the particular satisfying pieces is watching the pieces fall into place, the things you planted in the earlier series, for not just the earlier, the earlier books in this series, and, and seeing... Oh, that's click. Oh, now I see why that was there. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I just have this vision of you, whether those giant things you see in the movies where you have this huge wall with all these cards with these cords running between them. But I suspect it's far neater than that in your case. Um, you're not too terribly far off. I do it all online. But there is a, there is a lot of the... Um, well, it's like weaving a tapestry. And, and mm. I, I use all the different storylines. They'll have... I, I don't have a copy in front of you, but there's probably like 130 or 140 chapters in this book. And each one moves the story ahead, and it's a different person doing this or a different person doing that. And and they do all connect, and they, they tie together. And it was something that I dropped in Chapter 31 becomes extremely important in Chapter 118. And um, it... it I hope it does. I mean, there are things that I'm sure some fans are going to read it and write me. But what about this guy that you left hanging on the cliff edge? And I went, oh, yeah. shoot, I forgot to tie that one up. But it yeah. uh, doesn't happen often. Now, this, again, and I, I speak as, as a fan and reader that this is very, very satisfying. This, the only difficulty with it is if you get done, you realize you're going to have to wait some time to get the next one. Except in your case... You can walk right over and grab the new Dune book as well. So thank you right. for, and, for that. And Navigators of Dune is wraps up that big trilogy. It's the great schools of Dune, the origin of the Bene Gesserit and the Spacing Guild and the Navigators and the Mentats. And we had a great time writing that. Uh, it is um, it's kind of the culmination of things we've been working on for, again, 15 or so years. In the Dune universe, we know in the far, far future, that, that there are no computers, there are no thinking machines because of this huge purge that happened 10 millennia before the, the novel Dune is set. And and that's never fully explained in the original novels, and that's why we've spent many, uh, this is our sixth book now, it's two trilogies, back in this origin time frame, because if you have a galactic empire, how would you just get rid of computers and things? How How do you make your system function? And this trilogy, and especially as it wraps up in Navigators, it, it's, it's a fundamental story of the war against uh, reason versus fanaticism. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they're, after horrific generations of jihad trying to wipe out these, these murderous thinking machines, then they want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and, and have mm-hmm. no technology at all and basically go back to the um, space version of the Stone Age. And, of course... 
other people don't want to give up all of the technology and civilization. So it's a major clash um, against this. And I think the, the lead character, the leader of the fanatics, um, is quite probably the most powerful and loathsome character I've created in 140 books. He's just just frightening and chilling and terrifying. And, and the very sad thing is, because we know the future of the Dune universe, where they don't have any computers or high technology, mm-hmm. you know that these fanatics are going to win. And it's yeah. so hard to write this story because we know that the loathsome people have to have to be victorious. But how does that happen? And is something saved? And is there a, a you know hope for the future? And uh, mm-hmm. and of course, it's a great Dune story again with dozens of main characters and uh, another big satisfying space epic and and that's the it wraps up the trilogy we're we've been working on and it's the last dune book that we have uh currently planned we won't say no we won't do any more ever but uh nothing in the works at the moment we're we're mm-hmm. kind of catching our breath i think there have been 15 dune novels brian and i have, are very good friends obviously we've done 15 dune novels together and we did a big uh space opera trilogy of our own the hellhole trilogy so that's 18 books that I worked with a, a very good friend of mine over the course of 18 or 19 years. So um, we, we put a lot of words on paper, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, readers are grateful for that because they're, you know, there's, there's people, as, as one fellow used to say, that people will have like one year's experience 20 times as opposed to 20 years' experience. And in this case, you're giving us good stuff instead of rehashed. And we love that. Uh, uh, Again, I'm gushing, but I, I have to when I talk about you because you're that good. But um, the thing that really, really shines out for me is the way that you were able to make characters, some of whom are nice, some of whom are nasty, and yet they all seem like they're more than just cardboard. These are people that are complex and have multiple influences on how they act. Well, and I, I learned something from a creative writing teacher back when I was a freshman in college who um, who wasn't really a very good creative writing teacher, but he did say uh, a thing I've always held on to is uh, when I was writing, you know, good guys and bad guys and the nasty villains, and, and he said, no bad guy ever thinks he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So he's doing things that for reasons that he considers appropriate. I mean, Hitler thought he was saving the world, so if you can, if you want to, getting into it, Hitler's head, why he was doing this. Now, some people are just crazy, so you know, that's yeah. a little bit hard to, uh, to do. But I, I like my, uh, my good guys and bad guys to think they're doing, taking their actions for the right reasons. And, of course, for, for the villains, that means that they're taking actions for reasons that we don't necessarily agree with, but they make sense to them. And trying to dig into why is this person doing something that objectively is is really bad i mean he's he's wiping out the a colony planet and uh, brian and i have a new dune short story that's going up on the tor.com website next week we wrote it as sort of a connector between mentats uh-huh. of dune and navigators of dune it's a, it's called the red plague and really great story about our, our fanatic mm-hmm. is Manford Toronto. He's leading these anti-technology fanatics. And one of his own planets uh, is being is struck by a deadly plague. And the cure is available. Everybody's got the, the cure and it just needs to be 
deliberate, but he is so against technology, he thinks that it's worse to to have the medicines delivered than to let his people die. This clash between the the ends justify the means, and, and do I dare let this, my enemy, the, the leader of the technology proponents, do I let him cure my people because then he'll look like a hero and then maybe they'll come uh, switch sides to agree that technology isn't so bad, or do I just let all my people die horribly from this plague? And uh, it's it, it, tw- it twists my stomach in knots because there are people that um, will let their children die because they read some kooky conspiracy theory about vaccinations. And, mm-hmm. and there, are, there are people dying every year, kids dying every year because parents don't want them to get a flu shot because they some Tinkerbell fairy told them that it was magic or something like that. Yeah. It, it's just, it, I, it works me up because we know better than that. We, we know that, that, you know, the earth goes around the sun. There are, there are things called science that, that actually prove things. And, and there are fanatics that just plain refuse to believe it. And it's, it's troubling to me that there is suffering in the world that doesn't need to be because people won't take it. But and well, that was your, your rambling rambling philosophical diatribe for a few minutes. I, I love that, that because it's absolutely true. Well, I absolutely agree with you. And one of the things that I, I recall, is, as somebody says, is that, you know, you get your own opinion, but you don't get your own facts. They are what they are. And some people refuse to accept that. But, and, but it's watching this and, and, you know, watching the news and watching current events and seeing smaller, I hope, reflections of this fanat- anti-technology fanaticism of, of refusing to believe that, um, that medicine works and refusing to believe that um, we actually have NASA photos of things like, like planets and science and, and refusing to believe that, that we actually landed on the moon and stuff like that. Yeah. There are people that it, it's okay, if, well, it's not okay, but if you, if you want to have silly ideas like that, then I suppose those are your silly ideas. But but when when you let your child die because you don't want to have a flu shot, which you know is going to not let them get the flu, it's just, it's upsetting to me how other people get get punished for some other uh, fanaticism. Exactly. There, Respons- there you go. You put a quarter in me and I'm starting to ramble. I, I usually don't, <laughs> don't talk in public about stuff like that because I have I have fans who will get annoyed, but but well, th- this series is about uh, reason versus fanaticism, and I'm obviously on the on the side of reason. I I think that we should be making our lives better rather than hiding in the dark and being afraid of these strange noises out there. And it was very difficult for me to write a book or the trilogy with Brian because. Um, Again, we know from the history of the Dune universe that the fanatics will win. And uh, obviously that's not the way I would write it, because as, as a writer I want the good guys to win. But uh, you just have to explore them. And, and getting inside Manfred Tarando's head, who is the, the absolute fanatic against this, it, it's, a very, it's a very chilling place, but we had to understand him and why he does these things. And, uh you know, I, I hope that we conveyed it because he's not a cartoon villain to us. He's he's a very frightening, very powerful, very charismatic guy, uh, and it makes the story really good as well. So we hope people will check it out, read the story. 
I am sure they will. It's not like you've not done this before and that they don't know what the quality of writing is. So I, I would imagine that right now there are probably many thousands of people who have pre-ordered both of those books. So uh, well, we'll I find so. out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you do. Well, and, and again, the, the, if I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, the, the book comes out on, both books come out on Tuesday. Um, pre-ordering them means your copy shows right up on your Kindle or on your Nook or on your Kobo or on your in your doorstep uh, right on time. Uh, but otherwise, you can flock out carefully and slowly. We don't want you to hurt anybody in your rush uh, to get a copy on Tuesday. <laughs> Excellent. Is there anything we haven't talked about you want to make sure that we mention before we wrap this up today? <laughs> well, we don't have seven hours, so I can't really get started on that. But uh, okay. we've got, uh, let's see, where's my next appearance? I'm going to be at Cincinnati Comic Con in two weeks. Uh, my my publishing house and I and several other guest authors, Ari Salvatore and Todd McCaffrey, will all be there signing books. And uh, we have WordFirePress.com is my uh, publishing house, and there's an appearance schedule on it, so you can see where we are. Uh, and there's just lots of stuff to do. I, I wish I could clone myself, but it hasn't worked out yet. They've all been abject failures, and we've had to <laughs> had to go back to the drawing board. Also, want want to mention that that you are generous enough to provide autographed copies, which are available through VJ Books. Yes, we have. We have. I, I actually haven't received them yet to sign, but they will be. They, the package mm -hmm. always shows up from VJ Books every time a new book comes out, and they're very great supporters of ours. And uh, you can go through them to get your signed copies by uh, signed by me and Brian for Navigators of Dune and uh, Eternity's Mind is signed by me. So sweet. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for, for being with us again. It's always a delight to talk with somebody who dreams so big and so well. Uh, I do appreciate your time today. Great. Thank you, Roger and Will, and I'm sure we'll do it again. All right, thanks. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio with book specialist Roger Nichols. Be sure to check us out at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com.